Welcome to Mind Reading's Experts in Conversation podcast series. This project explores the patient experience through the prism of literature and personal narrative to inform self-care, patient-centred care and practice. It's animated by the question of whether doctors and patients speak the same language and how we can use narrative to bridge the evident gaps. Mind Reading began as a collaboration between UCD Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, the Diseases of Modern Life Project and the University of Birmingham, and has since expanded to include colleagues across the UK and Ireland, including UCD School of English Drama and Film. Our intended activities comprise a series of explorations around the central theme of literature and mental health and function as independent events, but are brought together by their intent to explore the best ways of drawing on the insights of historical and literary research in contemporary medical practice especially in the field of mental health. So this series brings together some of the key themes of the 2020 conference, which we had to postpone, and is brought to you by the Humanities Institute at UCD and RCPI Archives. Today's episode is entitled Written on the Body, Eating Disorders and Narrative. My name is Dr. Claire Hayes-Brady of the School of English Drama and Film at UCD. So first up in today's episode, Written on the Body, Eating Disorders and Narrative, is Harriet Parsons, Harriet is the training and development manager at BodyWise. She's a fully accredited psychoanalytic psychotherapist and holds an MSc in psychoanalytic psychotherapy from St. Vincent's Hospital School of Psychotherapy in UCD, an MA in addiction studies from DBS and a BA in psychology also from DBS. Harriet joined BodyWise, the Eating Disorders Association of Ireland in 2005 and as training and development manager works to provide the support component by BodyWise to the HSE National Clinical Program for Eating Disorders. Additionally, Harriet gives frequent training and lectures on the subject of eating disorders. So Harriet's going to set the scene for us today. Harriet. Thanks, Claire. And thanks for inviting me to speak today. So maybe I'll start off by setting the scene around the eating disorders in Ireland. So I suppose there's about, it's estimated that there's about 188,000 people who have an eating disorder in Ireland and um, approximately 1,800 new cases per year are identified. And that was pre-COVID. So post-COVID, I'm, I'm sure those figures will increase substantially. And when I say eating disorder, I guess I'm talking about anorexia, bulimia and binge eating disorder. Although binge eating disorder, it would be estimated affects about 3% of the adult population and it affects male and females 50-50. Since COVID, referrals have kind of skyrocketed and we've seen that both from stats coming out of treatment services and also on our own support services as well. So I think there's been about a 66% increase in hospital admissions and about one in every four is considered urgent. And so people are presenting physically very unwell and every case, you know, feeling very urgent. Certainly on our support services, our family support program attendance has increased 98%. Across all of our services, there's been a huge increase in people using it, looking out for support, looking for support since the lockdown last March. So that's kind of where we are at the moment. I suppose my story and where I um, enter into the world of mental health and eating disorders and working with people really had quite a circuitous route. So I began when I was 16, I went to ballet school in Russia and I trained as a ballet dancer there. And then I worked with Moscow City Ballet for a number of years. And when I came back from Russia, I took a break and I had one of those in my early 20s, kind of, well, what am I going to do with my life you know, moments um, that I think lots of people have. 
And at the time, there was a psychology BA in Dublin Business School, or LSB as it was then, that was really a psychoanalytic course. And it was the first psychoanalytic BA in the English-speaking world that was based on the model that Freud kind of proposed for, for how people should enter into the world of providing talking therapy. And that was that you study psychology and you study philosophy and then you study psychoanalysis. And that was the degree that I did at that time. So thinking about, you know, what we learned from literature and what we learned from writings, that's exactly how I entered into that world, you know, reading all of those kind of key Freudian texts. And Freud himself would have used, you know, some of his, um, one of his core case histories is on the Schreber case, which is an analysis of Schreber's own written account of his own psychosis. So, you know, that's kind of where I began with, with my own studies and with learning about what it is to listen to human subjectivity, what it is to try to understand when someone speaks to you, and how you can listen in a way that helps them to explore what is happening to themselves. Following on from that, I worked in the Rape Dublin Rape Crisis Centre for a year on their telephone counselling service full-time there for a year. And after that, I went back to DBS and I did an MA in addiction studies, which was also a psychoanalytic course. And that was looking at addiction through that psychoanalytic lens, which was um, incredibly interesting. And within that context, I suppose I really focused on eating disorders and the idea of how can you understand an eating disorder within that framework. And then following that, I would have gone on to do my psychotherapy training, which was a psychoanalytic training in St. Vincent's um, School for Psychotherapy, which is UCD. And it was in my final year there that I got a part-time job in BodyWise that was the Eating Disorders Association of Ireland, and I basically have never left since. So my job has morphed from being part-time to being full-time. And um, so that was 2005. So for the first kind of 10 years or so, I would have worked managing the support services and really managing the support services is about delivering the services but also it's about training the people to work on those services and that's where I really felt that I could bring something to what BodyWise provides because to my mind trying to understand eating disorders and trying to understand a person's experience of having an eating disorder and what it might be like to provide support to that person. What it always seems to be a barrier with, uh, with people with eating disorders, and I'm not so sure whether it's there in other mental health areas or not, is this feeling of nobody understands me, nobody understands my eating disorder. My eating disorder is very particular, it's very special, it's my thing, and you have nothing to offer me. So my whole work has been focused on how do we make our services feel to that person like we have something to offer them and so probably already in that you can hear how there I was thinking about it this morning and there are basically three kind of psychoanalytic principles that I took from my training into the work that BodyWise provides in terms of support services and and this is where we we cross over and interact with the idea of the narrative and of people's stories. 
and of what we can learn about people's experience of a mental health problem, not only the person who has it, the problem, but also the people who are trying to help them and how that can benefit everybody, really. So the first idea, I guess, is this idea that psychoanalysis always privileges the particular over the general. So you're focused always on the subjective experience of the person that you're speaking to. When you look at Freudian theory, and you can see how it developed, how it changed, he discarded ideas, he took on new ideas. The reason why there's so much controversy and so much difficulty is because the theory came from the clinic. So the person was not, he didn't try to fit the theory to the person. He, he, he had his theory, but he listened. And if what they were saying didn't correspond, he would change his ideas. And it's that idea of privileging the particular over the general. And, and that is a core part if you're, if you're trying to provide support or help to somebody, I think particularly with an eating disorder, because they are so private about it. Um, because it feels particularly personal and intimate and special to them. And so within the support services, then what, uh, you know, what we try to train the people who are delivering the services to do is not to say, oh, yeah, I know a lot about eating disorders. I'm able to hear this and this is it. It's rather to hold back on that and to say, tell me what it is like for you. Tell me what that feels like. Tell me what the thoughts are in your head. So you're meeting the person where they're at and you're 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 learning about their eating disorder from them. And so part of that, of course, is, you know, we have a personal story section on our website. There's loads of books around eating disorders and that. And people get a huge amount from those stories, from identifying with the people who are writing them, from the things that people are saying. But at the same time. We have to be so careful because they can also be alienating because the person can feel like I don't fit in with that. Therefore, I'm different or I'm beyond help or it's not it's harder for me or or that. So so we're managing that space all the time. So that is the first kind of principle, I suppose, I was thinking about that I brought the second um, principle that I think is really important is the idea that when somebody is coming to you for treatment or for support, they have to think that you have something to offer them so that you know something about why they're suffering, about what's going on for them, that you have some insight that you can help them to, to learn about their experience. So from their side, they have to believe and think that you have something that are value to offer them but from your side you absolutely have to know that you don't know necessarily what's going on for them and in psychoanalysis that's called the subject supposed to know so you are the subject who's supposed to know but you know that you don't know and that is something that is really particularly important when you're offering a support service and you know the people our volunteers who come to us you know they feel they don't have confidence. They feel, oh, I need to know everything about eating disorders to be able to pick up the phone and take a call. And what we say to them is, no, you don't need to know everything, but you, you need to know that you don't know. So you use your not knowing as a tool and you take up a position of not knowing and then you ask, what is it like for you? 
Yeah, tell me what it is like for you. And that allows that safe space for the person to come in and say, well, this is how I experience it. This is what's going on for me. And they start to create their own language and their own words to be able to understand what's going on for them. So again, part of that understanding of oneself can come from reading, you know, from from reading people's stories, from understanding what it, what the what the human experience is about you know this we need all of these things to be able to capture that to be able to understand it but at the same time we have to allow a person to be able to find their own words to describe it you know their own words to understand themselves better so that was kind of the second thing i thought of and the third thing i think is really important is so psychoanalysis would view people from a structural perspective and what that means is that the way we live and the way we suffer in particular is in, in a structural way so that there is this idea of, you know, as we navigate through being a baby, growing into a toddler, coming through Oedipus, um, you know, developing through the latent period into adolescence and into adulthood, that as we navigate all of these um, turning points and these different interactions, that they do mark us in some way and that the way we learn both how to relate to ourselves but also how we relate to the outside world is marked by how we come through these things now i suppose it's not freud would use the idea that it's a trauma in some way but i don't mean a trauma as in something awful has to happen it's just that it is overwhelming and we have to find a way of managing it and and you see that um, and that's that idea that um, the way we suffer is because we can learn about, we can learn why we do what we do. We can learn why we repeat the same things over and over. If we start to understand how we have come to, uh, to be the people that we are, to identify our own selves and that our identity is built up in layers. And a lot of those layers are actually from the outside world. So we gain a sense of ourselves from the outside world, yeah? So I'm a baby, I experience a sensation, it makes me cry, my mother feeds me, and I start to learn that that means hunger, yeah? So it's a retrospective. So we, we gain a sense and an understanding of ourselves from outside of ourselves. And what that means is that when you're working with somebody, when, when somebody comes and say you have you know, in a helpline call and someone says, you know, I want to get treatment. I don't know where to go. I've tried lots of things. And and so you you answer that call and you think, great, I'm going to help this person. I'm going to say, well, why don't you try this? And they say, no, no, I tried that. That didn't work. You say, oh, OK, well, what about this? No, no, I tried that. That didn't work. And what starts to happen is that you're trying to address what the person seems to be asking rather than holding back and thinking about, well, what is actually going on here? What are they not saying? And so if you try directly to answer it, you kind of can miss the point. What you really want to do is allow a space for their own understanding of what's happening to come into that space. I hope that makes sense. And so I think that with the mind reading project and with this idea of what do we learn from literature and narratives and understanding ourselves through the eyes of other people, we can learn an awful lot. We can 
we can learn about our experience. We can learn how other people have navigated those twists and turns, how people have come through adversity, how people have come to understand what different things mean. And that can be absolutely crucial. It can be enlightening. It can relieve anxiety. It can make us feel not isolated. But at the same time, we also have to remember that everybody is different and that we might not necessarily have the same feelings as other people. And that's one thing also that when we're training people to work on our support services, you know, sometimes we have people who have lived experience who have had an eating disorder themselves. And somebody might ask, well, have you had an eating disorder? And we never answer that question because the minute you answer it, it becomes about you and not about the person. And also, if you say you have had an eating disorder, then it becomes about, well, what did you do and what worked for you and what is that like? And if you say you haven't had an eating disorder, then it's like, well, you couldn't possibly understand what it's like for me. Again, it's about taking up that position of not knowing, of it's not about me, it's about you. And I think that that is a really important distinction to make when we're thinking about how do we support people and how do we work with people.